0: Thank you, thanks guys, thank you, thank you, all right, morning everyone, everyone doing okay? Good, didn't you love getting your praise on, so good, and uh, as that story proved, pot noodles are an expression of love to everybody, so (laughs) if you want to love someone, give them a pot noodle the way to everyone's heart. Um, well, good morning. It's been a big week. Uh, we've obviously had the, the whole Yanni versus Laurel debate. If you don't know what that is, it really doesn't matter. Uh, but the answer is Laurel. Um, uh, and we've, of course, had a massive wedding uh, this week. Uh, Sharon Pohl got married yesterday to Martin. And uh, we just... Really celebrated with them, and uh, guys, enjoy your honeymoon. God bless you. And uh, of course, there was another wedding yesterday. How many of you watched that wedding? Uh, do you know what? I, I thought, I didn't really plan to watch the whole thing, but I watched the whole thing. I was absolutely transfixed, and I just felt so proud to be British. Uh, just All my kind of you know, nationalistic stuff came out of me, and it was just an amazing moment. And of course, this guy on the left was... Wow, 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 the star of the show. <laughs> didn't, didn't you love kind of seeing various members of the royal family kind of squirm? and This shouldn't be done, this is Windsor Castle. And uh, I just loved what Bishop Michael Curry said, and uh, he said this, Jesus began the most revolutionary movement in human history a movement grounded in the unconditional love of God for the world, and a movement mandating people live in that love. Jesus died to save us all. He didn't die for anything he could get out of it. Jesus did not get an honorary doctorate for dying. He gave up his life. He sacrificed his life for the good of others, for the well-being of the world. Such an amazing message. And, you know, Scripture... Churcher says that you should make the most of every opportunity. <laughs> wow. I mean, that guy did that. When you got an audience of 2 billion people. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. It's often quoted about Billy Graham that, you know, he preached the gospel to more people than anyone else. 1 billion. That guy just overtook him. In 12 minutes, he overtook Billy Graham. It was amazing. And. Uh, even uh, the Ed Miliband, Ed Miliband, the former Labour leader, and he was a, a renowned atheist, he, he tweeted this after hearing the message. He said, Reverend Michael Curry could almost make me a believer. So that's high praise indeed. So, should we just thank Jesus just for what he did yesterday? And Lord, we, we thank you for those surprising moments where suddenly. The name of Jesus is owned on national TV, international TV. We thank you, Lord, that we are not ashamed to say the name Jesus. And we thank you that you really are the hope of all the world. Lord, you're the hope of the rich and the poor. You're the hope of the royal family and all the rest of us, Lord. We, we thank you, Jesus, that you died in our place. And Lord, we just celebrate that moment yesterday, Lord, that you were front and centre and Lord, we, uh, we just celebrate you. God, thank you that you've taken the shackles off our feet and now we can dance. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Woo! So good. So we continue our series on discipleship, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And of course, one of the great questions of every follower of Jesus and every human being in that matter is, what is my purpose? What am I here for? Why do I exist? That is uh, fundamentally the question of human nature. Why am I on this planet? What's my purpose? And Nicky Gumbel says this about purpose. He says, purpose in a life is far more important than property or possessions. Having more to live with is no substitute for having more to live for. It has been said that the two greatest days of your life are the day that you were born and the day that you find out why purpose purpose is what ultimately gives your life and my life a sense of meaning and when as human beings we get detached and divorced from god's purpose for our lives really all we've got left with is living for the immediate pleasures of this life and that's where so many of the the world's philosophies come in and uh, one french philosopher a man called andre moreau said this he said the universe is indifferent Who created it? Why are we here on this puny mud heap spinning in infinite space? I have not the slightest idea and I'm quite convinced no one has. When you get detached from God who is at the centre of a moral universe that gives it a sense of meaning, when you live outside of that, suddenly all you have is the pleasures that you can get around you in this short, fleeting life. There is no ultimate joy, no ultimate meaning. And in the midst of this kind of world philosophy that so many of us live with day to day, Jesus just cuts straight through to the heart and he gives us our very purpose for living. This is what he says in Matthew 22. He has been questioned by Pharisees and Sadducees. And this is what he says. He says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, which is never a good thing. One of them An expert of the law tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. What is your purpose? Your purpose is to worship God. And there it is. You may have been searching for the answer many, many years. There it is on a plate. You were made to worship God. That's why you exist. That's why you draw breath is to worship him. You were born a worshiper. You were born a worshiper. The Westminster Catechism puts it this way. says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Ooh, got so excited, I knocked the furniture around. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's what gives meaning to your life. You're a worshiper. You're a worshiper. And of course, worship is so much more than the singing of songs. It's so much more than turning up on a Sunday morning and singing the kind of songs that we've been singing this morning. Singing is a beautiful part of our worship, but that isn't really what worship is about. Jesus said, Worship is about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, giving all of yourself for all of Him. That's what worship looks like. And that means that worship. It includes your attitudes, your priorities, the way you use your money, the way you handle your time, the way you build your marriage, the way you parent your children, your attitudes in the workplace, the dreams, the aspirations you have, the priorities for your life. Every single thing in your life is an expression of worship to God. Songs are like the tip of the iceberg, but actually it's the rest of our life that demonstrates that we are worshipers. And that's why you may be sitting here this morning And you come in and you sing songs, but you've not yet become a worshipper. Because Jesus said, listen, I'm called you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul. Everything within you is made to worship him. And the reality is, whether you know Jesus or not here this morning, you are still a (laughs) worshipper. If worship is the giving of yourself for something or someone else... All of us in this room, no one excluded, we are worshipping something or someone. Because the opposite of Christianity is not atheism. The opposite of Christianity is idolatry. It's the worshipping of created things. It's the worshipping of things that are not God. That's idolatry and that's the opposite of Christianity. Worshipping things that have been created rather than the creator. You know, it's interesting when you go out in the streets and sometimes ask the miracle question, if God could do one thing in your life, what would you ask him to do? It's amazing how many people say, I want to win the lottery. Why? Because we worship created things. We put our trust in other things to bring us joy and ultimate satisfaction. That's why John Calvin, the great theologian, once said this, the human heart is like an idol factory. We produce idols, things outside of God that we begin to attach ultimate significance and meaning and happiness to, and we begin to pour ourselves into them rather than loving the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. The heart is an idol factory, and you don't have to look too far beyond your own life to discover that that's true. You know, how do you begin to identify the other idols in your life? Well, Just ask yourself a few questions. For example, what do you most sacrifice for? What do you most sacrifice for? And what are you most passionate about? That will give you the start of perhaps understanding some of the things that draw you away from your attention from Jesus. And they can be good things. I mean, I remember growing up as a teenager, probably the two great passions in my life that I was willing to sacrifice anything for were Jesus and Brighton and Hove Albion Football Club. Like, they were the two big things. And that's what I kind of poured myself into. And, you know, it's amazing, you know, what you'll sacrifice for for something that you really love. You know, I would turn up kind of hours before the game. I would walk 45 minutes from my home to get to each match. I would spend my money on going to see Brighton. I would, I would stand in the freezing cold and the pouring rain and all blizzard conditions in a crummy old stadium because I loved Brighton. You know, I was once invaded, I was in two pitch invasions. You know, on more than one occasion, I shouted very rude things to the opposition goalkeeper. You know, I know. Shocking, I know. What are you most sacrificed for? What are you most passionate about? What do you feel like you couldn't live without? That's a great question. I'm hating my own questions right now. Like, what could you not live without? I just can't imagine life without my mobile phone. can't imagine life without Netflix. <laughs> what is it? What, what, what's the thing that you just cannot imagine living life without? Whose approval are you seeking? Sometimes an idol in our life is someone else's whose approval we think, if I don't have your approval, then life is not worth living. My friends, you've got an idol. What do you fear the most? Where do you run for for comfort? <laughs> I wonder: are there idols in your life right now that have become ultimate things rather than just good things? Things that you cannot live without, things that you sacrifice too much for. When Jesus today is drawing us back, He's saying, Listen, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. Give all of you for all of me. That is a pretty good trade-off. All of you for all of God. That, that's a pretty good substitution right there. I'm going to give you my life for your life. Wow. Maybe for some of us today, we need to bring our idols back to the cross and say, Jesus, I'm laying down these ultimate things so that you can be first again in my priorities. Because worship is who, we, is who we're made to be. We're made to be worshipers. And of course, the ultimate goal of worship is not you. Did you realize that? You know, when you come in on a Sunday morning or maybe you're worshiping on a Monday morning, do you know what the ultimate goal of worship? It's not me, it's him. The ultimate goal of worship is the glory of God. It's God's glory. When we come to worship, actually we're taking our eyes off our own bootlaces and lifting him to the God of all glory and all majesty and all greatness. It's about his Glory. Worship is about the glory of God and there's this beautiful verse in Romans 3.23 that has both a negative message and a positive message. Romans 3.23 says, We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The negative message there is, we have all sinned and you need a saviour. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a sinner and you need his mercy. Just like every single one of us in this room. We have all sinned. But here's the good news in that verse. You were born for the glory of God. And in Jesus, that original design of God is restored in Jesus Christ. Sins forgiven so that again we can stand in his glory, giving glory to him. You were made to worship to the glory of God. And there's two main ways that we worship to God's glory. And the first way is this. When we worship, we come to ascribe glory to God. This is what Psalm 29 says. Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty. That's you lot, the sons of the mighty. The daughters of the mighty. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. The first job of a worshipper, a follower of Jesus, is to say, God, you are brilliant. That's your first job. And your, as your purpose as a worshipper is to say, God, you are amazing. Job number one. If you've done that this morning, woof. Tick off my purpose off the list. I have worshipped God. God, you are amazing. And John Piper, he, he gives this definition to the glory of God. He says, the glory of God is the beauty and excellence of all God's manifold perfections. Wow. In, in other words, every brilliant thing about God is summed up in the word glory. So just, just think about God. Just think about all the brilliant things about him. Think about his majesty, yet his meekness. Think about the crown that he wears and yet the crown of thorns that he endured. Think about the love that just pours out of Jesus towards you. Endless love, endless love. Think about his mercies which are new every single morning for you. Great is your faithfulness. You will never let me down. Wherever I go, your presence will find me. You are a God of justice you are a God of infinite peace when the storm rages you are my peace just think about all the brilliant things that there are to think about God God's glory God's glory is summed up in the beauty and excellence of his manifold perfections and you know there is just something right and appropriate when you stand in front of something awe inspiring bigger than yourself the natural response in your heart as a human being is to go wow, and that is the appropriate response to God. You know, when you stand in front of Niagara Falls and you just, you know, the Zambezi River or, you know, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon or Bedford High Street or, you know, the Grand Canyon, when you stand in front of these awe-inspiring things, it's natural for something you need to go, wow. You know, you don't stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon, fold your arms and say, Mm, could have been a bit bigger (laughs) that is not an appropriate response that's pathological you were made to go oh awesome wow amazing John Piper says this we are all starved for the glory of God not self no one goes to the Grand Canyon to increase their self-esteem We don't worship to increase our self-esteem. It's not about you. It's not about me. (laughs) He goes on, he says, why do we go? Because there is greater healing for the soul in beholding splendor than there is in beholding self. Did you get that? There is greater healing for your soul to lift your eyes up and say, God, you are brilliant and I worship you for your glory and your greatness. That very process will heal your soul. Exactly what you need is found in the place of magnifying and exalting God above yourself and above your circumstances. You are made to glorify someone bigger than yourself. So take your eyes off yourself and lift them up. Lift up your heads that the king of glory may come in. It's about him. It's about God's great glory. And that's why the best worship songs are not about me. They're about him. They celebrate the greatness of God. The second way that we worship to the glory of God is that actually as we worship, it's an invitation for the glory of God to start transforming us and the world around us. That There is something about beholding God. It's like a cause and effect. As we lift our eyes up, heaven cannot help but pour out glory on the earth. And that's why that's the, the biggest thing that will change you is worship. This is the way Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 3. He says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Do you see what Paul's saying here? He's saying, we are those who contemplate the Lord's glory. That's what we're doing in worship. God, you are glorious. I ascribe glory. But then he says, this is what happens. In that process, we are transformed with ever-increasing glory. There's a transaction that takes place. You suddenly are different because you always become like the one that you behold." The one that you think most about, the one that you look at the most, the one that you fill your attention with. He is the one that ultimately you will become like. That's why Jesus said, abide in me, you will bear much fruit. You hang around Jesus, you start to look and smell a bit like Jesus. Worship is transformative because it invites God's glory. and One of the words for glory in the Old Testament is a word that is translated weighty weighty, like something heavy, like a heavy rock or a boulder. And the picture is, when God's glory starts to invade this planet, lesser realities start to get dislodged and dispersed and moved around into their appropriate places. I mean, if you just imagine a big kind of paddling pool full of water, water is real. But if you pick up a massive boulder and you drop it into a paddling pool full of water one greater reality is going to displace the other because one is heavier it's greater it has deeper reality and when we worship god his glory comes so often in this weighty presence that begins to transform us you know and that's why so often moments of worship are moments of transformation in our own lives you know just this week on wednesday night we had our first prayer meeting it was just it was just brilliant it was ballistic it was amazing i loved it and uh, Carol, my wife, she, a few days before, had got very chronic sciatic pain going up and down her body. And it meant that she literally had to lift her leg up to get up even one step. And for the whole of Tuesday, she, she could hardly pray. She was at home, kind of had her leg up like this. She had ice and heat and pain going up and down and spasms in her lower back. And she made it here to a Wednesday night prayer meeting to pray and uh, within half an hour of praying, 90% of the pain just evaporated. I mean, it just disappeared. And, and it stayed, disappeared. You know, At first, you know, you're like, maybe it's just adrenaline. But no, it was actually the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you know, because when you're in his presence, we begin to get transformed. You know, you're focusing on him, and you don't realize what God is doing in the background. He's just taking care of your enemies for you. Yeah, that's what happens you fix your eyes on someone bigger than yourself and he just gets to work you know that's what happens you're like wow where did that breakthrough come from where well, it came from looking at him you know we had one lady in a conference once and she knew she needed financial breakthrough and she just decided I'm just gonna f- try and forget about that I'm just gonna fix my eyes on Jesus and halfway through that worship time her phone beeped and someone had deposited 800 pounds into her account in that very moment Because God goes to work on your behalf. We get transformed when we look at his glory. That's how it works. You look at him and he changes you. Worship invites his glory in. So let's just try and get practical in our last 12 minutes, 16 seconds. What does this mean for us? Just just. Put yourself in the shoes of someone who is trying to disciple somebody else. How would you help them to become a worshipper? Because you are all called to be disciple makers. And that's why we're doing this series. And it's also why we've produced a series of tools to help us get to grips with what it looks like to help other people to follow Jesus. And one of our tools is specifically about how do we worship to the glory of God. And it's based around this quote by a lady called Ruth Heflin who said this. Praise until the spirit of worship comes. Worship until the glory comes. And then stand in the glory. Stand in the glory. Three distinct steps as worshipers. We praise until the spirit of worship comes. We worship until the glory comes. And when the glory comes, you just hang around as long as you can. That's how we teach people how to worship God. And you know, let me just look at these three areas real quickly. So firstly, praise. Praise is that first part of being a worshiper, which means to exalt or magnify God, to make much of him, to boast about God. And just three real practical tools to how we can get our praise on really well. So number one, enter with thankfulness. Thankfulness is such a powerful tool. Such a powerful tool. Psalm 100, verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And you understand that for a Christian, thankfulness is not just tied to your circumstance, thankfulness is an attitude and position of your heart. It's the attitude and position every morning of waking up saying, I have got a thousand and one things to thank God for this morning. Even if all around me there is pressure, there is pain, maybe there's uncertainty, maybe there's perplexity, maybe there's mystery. Yet despite those things, I'm adopting the attitude of a thankful person. I'm going to enter your courts with praise. Even if it's for simple things like, Lord, thank you that I've got food on my table to eat today. Thank you for the soft pillow under my neck that I slept on last night. Thank you for this nation in which I am free to worship you without hindrance. Thank you that I can buy and read the word of God freely where thousands, millions in this world cannot. Lord, thank you that I have a job. Thank you for my friends. Lord, thank you for your constant love. Thank you that you are faithful. Thank you that you've promised you are going to turn all things for my good. I tell you what, if you start looking for things to be thankful for, you will find them. And that's how we praise. We start with thankfulness. I remember one worship leader um, one time. He was leading worship, and he just started to get so rocked with thankfulness that he just couldn't contain it anymore. He dropped his guitar on the stage and started to do laps around the building, shouting "Yay!" And and then he stood at the front. He never got back on the stage again. He just stood at the front, jumping up and down and worshiping. And you know, thankfulness brings you into the courts of the King. It's an attitude of the heart. Secondly, enlarge your thoughts. Colossians 1 says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. What you think about matters a great deal when you are praising God. And the thing about your thoughts is that God is not in control of your thoughts You are. (laughs) That means you have to make some choices and decisions when you come into a place of praise and worship. And you know, 1 Corinthians says we should take captive every thought. We should marshal our thoughts so that we are thinking about God, thinking about what He has done. And that takes a measure of self control, it takes a measure of dialing out other things so that we can think about Him. And it's so easy, isn't it, to, to come into worship times and be thinking about what you're having for dinner, that work meeting tomorrow, that thing that I need to sort out later, that thing on my list that I haven't done, or, oh gosh, I forgot to put the washing on this morning. You know, we, we're beset by a thousand different thoughts. And therefore, when I come to praise, I want to marshal my thoughts towards Jesus. And I found two very simple things help me. I just mentally, when I come to worship, I try and think about two main things. I think about the cross, and I think about the throne. The cross and the throne. The lion and the lamb. The Jesus who's conquered everything, who now is ruling supreme, who is worthy. I humbly come and bow down before him. He is my king. What he says goes. I come and worship the one who's on the throne, but I also worship the lamb who was slain. I worship the God who sacrificed himself for me. I worship the God who bled for my sin, the lion and the lamb, the throne and the cross. And when I come to worship, I just try and picture those two things as I come in to the gates of praise. Lord, thank you that you're on the throne. Thank you that you died in my place. Marshal your thoughts. Think great thoughts about God. Next, engage your body. Praise involves all of you. It involves all of you. Body, heart, mind, soul. And you know, the reality is the times where I least feel like worshiping with my body are the very times that I most need to worship with my body. The time I least feel like dancing, least feel like singing, least feel like kneeling, least feel like expressing my love for Jesus. That is the very moment where I should do those things most violently. <laughs> Because there's something about your love for Jesus in here being expressed in your body that is both appropriate and freeing. It's the right response. And, you know, I know in this country that we're, you know, again, I'm talking to our Brits, British friends here. I'm talking to my friends, my kin. You know, some of us will say to me, well, you know, I'm I'm British. I'm not a very demonstrative person. I do love Jesus in my heart, honestly. I just find... Find it hard to express it. Well, the trouble about that is, I'm not sure the Bible lets us get away with that. (laughs) Because the Bible, when it describes Jesus worshippers, God worship it, says they clap their hands and they shout aloud and they sing new songs and they dance and they kneel and they prophesy and they pray. That's what the Bible describes when it describes worshippers. They worship them with their heart, body, mind, soul, strength, everything. I am all in for you. (laughs) I'm all in, God. (laughs) Praise God with your body. The reality is, if I was to drop any one of you into a situation about which you are most passionate, you would demonstratively come alive. You know, if, if I was to find your pet subject or your pet love, it might maybe it's maybe it's the poor and you would just Yeah, oh, God cares for the poor, and he wants justice to come, and God, come on the poor. You know, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's science. If I was to talk to you about an area of science, your face would come alive, and he'd want to tell me stories, and he'd want to kind of take me into the whys and the wherefores. Or maybe it's your favorite football team. Or maybe I'd stick you behind the wheel of your car in front of a really crummy, bad driver, and then suddenly you're the most demonstrative person on this planet. You know, maybe I'd put you on the football terraces, or on the, the rugby field, or in a sports match, and suddenly, Wow! You are all demonstrative. If I put you in a place of your greatest passion, that passion will come out. The question is, why does it not come out when you're worshiping Jesus? Don't wait until you feel like it. Praise until you do. So, praise, we're exalting God with these things, and then we move, we praise until the spirit of worship comes. And so often in our worship times, there are those beautiful transition moments where you just sense God has stepped off the throne, off the page, and he's just come very, very near to you. That's the spirit of worship. And worship is about the heart, it's about love, it's about closeness, it's about longing, it's about drawing alongside. Scripture says if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. It's about intimacy. It's about an encounter with a God of love and a God of power. It's about encounter. And again, some practical steps on worship. Number one, trying to eject distractions. You know, in those moments we just suddenly sense God has come close. It's not the moment to go to the loo or to... St- st- Check your Twitter feed or, you know, you know, write your Sunday list. When you sense the spirit of worship coming in, it's a moment to just eject other distractions because God is close. God has come near. Hebrews says this, that we should throw off everything that hinders fixing our attention on Jesus. What does that look like for you? What does it look like to fix your attention on Jesus in those worship moments? You know, for me as a teenager, what I learned to do was I would worship like this much of the time. I'd be standing in a meeting with my hands over my face, not because there was anything holy about closing my eyes, but I just didn't want the distractions of seeing what other people were doing. You know there's nothing holy about closing your eyes. The reason I close my eyes is so I don't get distracted. And so I can picture him. Now, that might not be your distraction. Maybe for some of you, you're artistic and what helps you connect in those worship moments is to draw I don't know, but dial out those other distractions because there's something about intimacy that won't stomach other, other things in those moments. You know, if I'm taking my wife out for a meal and I'm checking my phone the whole time, what does that communicate? I'm going to tell you one thing, it's not going to go down very well. <laughs> you know, in our, in our family, around our table, we have a no phone at the table rule. And that means when we are sitting down to eat together, no mobile phones, no calls, no checking your text messages if they come through. Why? Because this is a family time. This is for us to talk to one another. This is to engage with one another. We've got to dial out those other distractions to look at him. So important. I was in a worship time uh, recently and I just looked over at someone, and right in the middle of one of these nice glory moments as God was coming close, she'd whipped out her phone and started playing a game for two or three minutes. I just thought, God's close. This doesn't seem right right now. Dial out distractions. Secondly, secondly, Worship is about learning just to express our love and our longing for God. Psalm 63 says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. Worship is that moment where we just start to say to Jesus, Lord, I want more of you in my life. I love you so much. You are so precious to me. Thank you for this beautiful salvation. Thank you that I live in your grace every single day. You are never going to leave me. You have crowned my life with glory and honor. God, I long to know you more. That's what worship is about. It's about the heart. And it means that maybe your words get fewer. Maybe your words get simpler. Maybe you just stop reading the words off the page and you start reading the words of your heart back to Jesus. I love you, Lord. I long for you. I worship you. And then lastly, enjoy his presence. Just enjoy his presence. In moments of worship are sometimes just to stand, and just to be, just to say, God, I recognize that you're close. And you know, that can happen anywhere. You could be driving along in your car. You could be cleaning your teeth at night. You could be putting your children to bed at night. You could be walking into your office on Monday morning, and suddenly you sense the presence of Jesus. That's not a moment to just rush on by. It's a moment to just take a moment and say, I love you. I welcome your presence. You are welcome in my life. You're welcome to come close. Perhaps the band could come back and we're going to worship together just for our last 10 minutes. What's your purpose? It's to worship God. What's the goal of your worship? The glory of God. How do we worship in the glory of God? We praise until the spirit of worship comes and we worship until the glory comes. And then that beautiful, awesome moment when we sense the glory of God, we stand in the glory. We stand in the glory. You know, I'll never forget a conference moment here. I came in with various different fears, various different things that were on my mind. And we had one of those worship times where we praised, we worshiped, and then the glory of God just came. And I remember we were singing this refrain, singing hallelujah, singing hallelujah. And as we all were singing this refrain, suddenly we were joined by angelic voices in the room. Happened in this room right here. And suddenly we could hear instruments that weren't even on the stage playing as we began to join heaven's song. Hallelujah, hallelujah, worthy is the lamb, worthy is the lamb. And I tell you, when those kind of moments happen, you just stand in the glory. Because in those moments, you never know what God is about to do in your life. Something is about to get shifted and changed as you stand in the glory.